You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Stiles, and founder of BricktownPuckets.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Stiles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-A-S. The show is on Twitter at L-O-Thunderpod. You can email the show, L-O-Thunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405 362 to eight. On this special Saturday episode of Locked on Thunder, we're going to recap the game against the Denver Nuggets, uh, and then we'll be back on Monday to recap the game against the Milwaukee Bucks for the regular Monday through Friday show. This show on the weekends, of course, is a little bit less structured. There's not really a, a set time frame. We're just going to talk about the game and however long that takes us. So we're going to start with this game as a whole, which the Thunder lose to the Denver Nuggets, and it's now their third straight loss, and once again, they got a huge lead in this game. I mean, they run out of the gates with their heads on fire. They lead by 19 points. They lead the entire way until the end of the fourth quarter whenever the Denver Nuggets take control and win this game. And this has to be frustrating for the players, and and they've tried their best to give the proper coach speak and player speak of, you know, what really matters is how hard they compete. But you know, even going back to Wednesday's Lakers game, Mark Dignott said it's getting frustrating to not pull these games out and, and to see this happen time and time again where all you have left to do is say you competed and say that you tried. And you know, there is value in that. There's value in trying, there's value in competing. But for these players, I, I wonder what mentally they're going through when these games happen where you're blowing 19-point leads and you're right there with these with these contending teams and, and you're not able to pull it out. I wonder how much longer can they withstand this? Like how how many more times can they be right there and then still lose but and still give 110% effort the next time out? Now, there's no reason to believe that their effort will ever waver and that their energy levels will ever waver, and there's no reason to believe that they won't come out Sunday and do the exact same thing and have the exact same result of getting up big and giving effort and, and, and challenging the Milwaukee Bucks. But eventually, you are going to hit a brick wall of, okay, we continue to try and try and try, and it never results in anything. I think what's helping Oklahoma City is that they're going to get a huge boost whenever it is SGA comes back, if it's going to be Milwaukee, or if it's going to be uh, a couple games from now. Whenever he returns, they're going to get a significant boost in that regard. And you know, for the Thunder, you really can look at this glass half full of, you're right there. You're in the mix with these contending, with these contending teams, and you're just not pulling it out without George Hill, without SGA, two guys who would normally close games for you, and two prominent figures in that closing lineup. And, and you're able to find different ways to succeed, and so that can keep you going a bit. That can keep you going. You know what? You know we we've seen a lot of different guys step up, like Justin Jackson tonight stepped up huge. We've seen that. So imagine what happens whenever we're all back and we're all together. Again, and so that can keep, kind of keep you in that spirit of competitiveness. But but I just wonder, something to monitor moving forward is how many more games can you withstand? How many more games can you withstand like this before your spirits get dampened? Because what the Thunder are so great at is that 
emotional part of the game in the sense of it is playing with heart and effort and, and spirit. And if that gets ever broken or fractured, then this Thunder team gets significantly worse. So you have to make sure that you're able to keep this group together and keep this group giving those high energy levels because it does catch teams off guard. I mean, I don't think it's a talent level thing that catches them off guard. I think it's just the fact that they treat every game the Thunder do as if it's a playoff game. I mean, watch how they're playing defense. Watch how they're hustling for rebounds. Watch how they're getting into actions and sets. That They are treating every possession as if it's the most important possession of the season. And that's something that never happens in the NBA regular season. And when it does happen, it catches you off guard. Again, look at the Lakers game. I mean, the Lakers treated three of the four quarters in each game as if it just did not matter at all. And then they turned it on. They showed you why they're the reigning NBA champions, and they were able to beat the Thunder. I don't think that any team is overlooking the talent on this team, like saying that, oh, we can take tonight off because they're not any good. I think that they're overlooking the the effort that they play with and, and the, the energy it takes to get up and match what the Thunder want to do. And for the Thunder, they've let teams match them in the fourth quarter. And whenever teams match their intensity – then they lose games. And so another thing to watch for outside of just the Thunder spirit getting broken, if, if teams know, okay, we have to come out with energy because the Thunder are going to come out with energy. We've seen whenever teams match what the Thunder want to do and match their effort levels, they've been able to beat the Thunder. So if teams ever start preparing to be ready from the jump against Oklahoma City, you won't see these big leads, I don't think, from Oklahoma City growing those leads. But again, a positive takeaway from this is that once again, you're right there with the Lakers. You're right there with the, with the Nuggets, and you don't have George Hill. You don't have Shea. Losing two pieces from your closing lineup in three straight clutch time losses kind of tells you the story of where this team is at. I mean, if they had those two guys, would these losses go differently, these three straight losses? Would they be better than four and six in the last ten stretch? Maybe. They could have still lost, as they did on Monday with SGA, but you get a better chance, especially in this game to close it out. Now, in this game, I've mentioned before that the Thunder always find somebody to step up. They always find somebody to to outperform their projections. And tonight, it was it was Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson plays in 27 minutes. He goes 7 for 11 from the floor, 3 for 5 from beyond the arc. He goes 3 for 3 from the free throw line. Gets you 3 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and he pours in 20 points. Justin Jackson has been a great example of professionalism for the Thunder, and it's a great example of this organization with the Thunder, that they can call on these guys. They can call on Justin Jackson to just up and give you 20 points one night. Now, someone has to score the points because you're down to eight players and you're going to just give someone the sheer volume and enough attempts to score. Therefore, these are NBA players, so they're going to be able to score. I don't really care about the 20-point aspect of it. I care about how confident and smooth and comfortable that Justin Jackson looked with the basketball and looked sharing the floor with these guys who – he hasn't shared the floor for that long. I mean, you, you had a limited training camp. You had limited preseason. He did not play a lot in the first half of this in this first half of the first half of the season. He did not play a ton. So he's not had many opportunities to feel comfortable, but he looks right at home. He looks right at home with this team, and he was able to perform at a at a big level tonight. And again, the, the 20 points is nice. Someone has to score those 20 points, so I don't want to get too over myself about the 20 points itself. But just the environment that it seems as though Oklahoma City has cultivated of we trust all of our guys we're going to show them confidence therefore they're going to play with confidence therefore we're going to maximize their ability and Justin Jackson goes three for five from beyond the arc which is a big deal he's usually not that efficient Mavericks fans have been criticizing him for so long and to see him 
get more efficient with the Thunder and his limited action has been good to see. We'll see what he can do throughout the rest of this season. And I, I wonder what the rotation will look like you know, in the second half of the season whenever you have a, a full roster of guys. Because if, if George Hill's still here and then you bring back Poku and Ty Jerome from the bubble and Josh Hall and Moses Brown from the bubble and then you get Taylor Maldon back and you have Shea healthy, if you had all 17 guys in Oklahoma City right now, how would the rotation look? Because Kenrich Williams deserves a spot, and he has solidified a spot. Diallo has solidified a spot. Muscala has a spot. And then from there, outside of your starting five, Roby ha- has done good things, and he's shown flashes, and he's, he's shown that he should get some minutes. Justin Jackson has came on strong these last couple of games, and then you'd bring back Poku. He would need some minutes. You'd bring back Tail Maldon. He needs some minutes. Like, like, it gets complicated to find minutes for these guys whenever they're all collectively healthy. And I think that we know the pecking order for these players and, and what the organization wants to focus on with each player and who has the upper hand of we want to focus on their development. But just in a in a vacuum, it, it looks interesting to, to try to figure out a rotation if they ever all do come back together. But shout out to Justin Jackson, who did have that massive game, and he was the player of the game today that stepped up. As I mentioned before, there's just always somebody who's able to step up. And again, I, I understand the tanking part of it. I think that tanking is the best strategy for Oklahoma City. But I, I did want the Thunder to just get one of them, right? Just get one of them and figure it out later about the wins and losses because it has to be incredibly wearing on these players to to play this way, to, to play till the very end, fight till the very end, and then fall apart in the clutch. It's the difference between last year's team and this year's team. Last year's team wins these clutch games. Last year's team pulls these games out, and they went on that miraculous run. This year's team... They get in these clutch games, and they can't pull it out for whatever the reason is. And not having Shea Hurts and not having George Hill Hurts. The Thunder are exactly where I predicted that they'd be, and a lot of people predict that they'd be. They're 10-15 and 15 right now. They are the second-worst team in the Western Conference behind Minnesota. And every game, it feels fun. It feels competitive. You know, every game, they're in these clutch time losses. Every game, there's something to take away from moving forward and their future development. That is, that is worth watching. They are worth watching this Thunder team as even as being the second worst team in the Western Conference. They're exactly where the preseason projections had them right now. And losing these clutch games are a reason why. Because if last year's team regressed to the mean you know, in the clutch and, and, and did not overperform to that extent last year, they'd be a totally different record last year. So that's just kind of the nature of the beast with whenever you get into these clutch games. The Thunder are in sixth place right now on Tickathon.com. They have a 8.3% chance at the number one overall pick, a three, a 34.7% chance at the top four. There are only a couple games separating them between number four spot with Cleveland and the three spot with Denver, with Detroit, I should say. And then uh, number one spot with Minnesota is four and a half games away. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. We all knew that this was going to be a tough stretch. We all knew that February is going to be the deciding month, and February is going to be where you separate yourself from either side versus, you know, finishing lower in the standings or finishing in the play-in or the playoffs. And so far, the Thunder have not had that good of a stretch, which you can't really blame them. They played the best teams in basketball in this stretch, and that doesn't get any easier because they come back home and they take on Milwaukee on Sunday. So coming up, I'm going to talk about Diallo and talk about the rest of this game. We are back on Locked on Thunder, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Diallo in this game had 16 points. 
He went 6 of 15 from the floor, 40%, and 1 for 2 from beyond the arc. Shot a little bit too many jump shots for my liking, but it's no big deal. I think that that comes with the territory of being the starting guard and, and being without Shea and George Hill and Tail Maldon. And I think that the next question for Diallo comes with when those guys return. How does he adjust back to the bench role? And I love the way that Diallo's played this season. I think that it's legit. I think he's turned a corner. And once again, it's just a shame that there's always this one shacked in a full highlight that can stop Diallo from getting the recognition he deserves in this game. He, before the half, just leaped up and tried to do the Kevin Garnett blocking shots you know, at the buzzer. And he does it. They call goaltending, and it gives Denver three points in a game in which they won by two. So obviously, that was a, a factor in the difference of this game. right? That was a contributing factor of losing by two points when you just hand Denver three points. I don't think that that shot was going in. Mark said that if he had his challenge, which he used earlier in the game to try to get Lou Dorton and one, if he had his challenge, he would have challenged that play because it, it is reviewable. And he explained the rule that you know I I had never heard of before. But you know if if you goaltend a shot that had no chance of going in anyway, it doesn't count as a goaltend. Like the pass interference rule of like if the ball is uncatchable, the pass interference now doesn't matter at all. So apparently that play was reviewable, reviewable, and he thinks he would have won the challenge and would have at least used it there to try to get that play back. And, and Mark did mention that, you know, that play was totally in their control. You know, Diallo would have wanted that play back, and Diallo shouldn't have done that. It was kind of unnecessary to do that. But he still did not view that it was a goaltend in his mind. And I think that if Diallo had that play back, he wouldn't have done it, obviously. Was that the only reason why the Thunder lost? No. I mean, if Diallo doesn't make that play, that's not to say that they still don't lose by two. Obviously, anytime you give away points, it's terrible. But... I feel like the piling on Diallo in this is weird. The jokes are funny on Twitter. I mean, the, the, the tanking jokes are funny, but Diallo is still playing well. And it just feels like every single time he plays well and every single time he does something well, like there's a joke behind it. Like there's a, there's a meme that spurt that, that spurts out of it. At the end of the day, obviously Diallo should not have done that. Diallo might've just won the thunder of the lottery. I mean, that 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 Diallo play is going to be the difference in this season. I mean, this this entire season can be separated by a couple games. I mean, look how close it is right now. The Thunder are a couple games away from being the number one overall seed in the Tankathon standings. They're also a couple games away from being a play-in team and going to the postseason. Like a couple games is a big deal. I know that it's hard to see that whenever you're in the midst of this 72-game marathon, but in reality, each and every game has such significant importance that a win here could have changed and had a ripple effect of the entire thing. And we'll see lottery night where the different, you know, seeds go and, and who jumps up, which spot jumps down, so on and so forth. That Diallo play is going to be the difference. It's going to, it's going to make a difference in where you finish because it's going to be such a tightly contested race, no matter what side that the Thunder finish on good or bad. And I think that it's kind of like the, Going back to the football analogy that we use with the pass interference, it's kind of like the football players who would who would drop the ball before they reached the end zone because they wanted to like celebrate by dropping the ball somehow. It's kind of like that. Like, what's really the point in dropping the ball there? What's really the point in trying to block a shot that probably wouldn't have gone in anyway and golding on a shot at the buzzer? Doesn't make a lot of sense, especially considering that Murray got the shot off in time. So like, there was literally no reason to block it. I get it if Murray held on to it as the buzzer was sounding and then threw it up there. 
then that's a play where you just want to kind of wipe it off and, and, and kind of do that whole song and dance there. But Murray got the shot off in time, so I don't know what Diallo was thinking. If Diallo thought that maybe he didn't get the shot off in time, it's a learning experience. You can just leave that alone from now on. If guys want to shoot at the buzzer, if the guys want to shoot at the buzzer or after the buzzer, go ahead and let them if you're not around the play at all. But I don't want to kill Diallo for it at the end of the day. It's not life or death this season, and you're hearing it in the messages that we're getting from the players and from the coaches that they're focused on progression, they're focused on competing, and let the rest happen. Like let the rest unfold however it's going to unfold. If it's going to unfold in wins, great. If not, okay. Well, at least we're competing at least we're progressing. Diallo does deserve credit, though, for his game of 16 points. He did have the six fouls in this contest. He had three turnovers. And fouling on defense is something that Diallo has gotten uh, you know, too accustomed to, and he's mentioned it before, that he's got to stop the silly fouls to stay on the floor longer. Uh, but it happens. You know, He's going to get in foul trouble. He's going to learn from it defensively. Three steals in this game was also really good, but with those active hands become those fouls a lot of the times. He got the two assists as the lead ball handler and four rebounds and goes three for four from the line. I'd like to see him get to the line a little bit more than that, but it it will all come out in the wash, and it will all happen as the season progresses. Dort, once again, goes one for five from beyond the arc. You know, I, I'm still not that concerned about Dort shooting because I don't think that this is who he is. You know, just as people didn't think that he was, he was a 40% three-point shooter, which he's clearly not, I also don't think he's a one for five three point shooter or a you know three for nineteen three point shooter. We talked about this at nauseum on Friday, so you can go back and listen to Stockwatch to hear more about Lou Dort's three point shooting. But he was contributing in other ways, which was really good for him. Al Horford has just been delightful to watch play basketball since returning from the birth of his child. He's been on fire. I mean, he goes six for fifteen today. He gets you four assists, five rebounds, and sixteen points. Played some really nice defense, and just the the vision he has is incredible at his size, at his position, to have that kind of vision, to have that kind of ability to facilitate an offense. And of course, everyone's just waiting for Shea to return. I just cannot wait to watch Shea play basketball again. He's so fun to watch, but also he elevates this game even more because if you add Shea's playmaking ability, the offense will get even more watchable and even more fun to watch. So I cannot wait for Shea to return. It does not seem too serious with Shea. Uh, one quick note on the Oklahoma City Blue before we transition and wrap up this game. Josh Hall did not play, and, and people have asked about why he didn't play. He's dealing with a, day, a day-to-day injury, so he is banged up a bit. He'll play eventually, again, day-to-day, so we'll, we'll, we won't know exactly who's going to play next, but he is day-to-day. It was not something as if he fell out of the rotation or something. We did not know about the injury until yesterday after the game against the Ignite team, which we'll talk about more on Monday, but Josh Hall is hurt. He's day-to-day. We'll see whenever he can make his season debut with the G League team at the Oklahoma City Blue in the G League bubble. Now, I want to wrap up this show by talking about Kenny Hustle, handing out the MVP, and handing out the money ball of the game. Coming up. We're back on Locked on Thunder, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-A-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. Email the show, L-O Thunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405-362-7128. So in this game, Kendrick Williams was phenomenal. Even despite him only having seven points, he grabbed down 11 rebounds. And they all just seem so timely, especially the four offensive rebounds. It feels like every time that, that Kenny Hustle 
grabs a rebound, it is an important one, and it is a possession saver, and it is a, a possession extender to lead to more points. Just his scrappiness is something that is so infectious, and, and just he he's so great at giving that boost. And, and he picks his spots well when he wants to shoot. He goes one for one from beyond the arc, but goes three for eight from the floor. He does not get to the line tonight, but he gets those 11 rebounds, and he dishes out nine assists. I would have never thought we'd have a nine-assist game from Kenny Hustle, taking it all the way back to the preseason. But we did. He had nine assists. He can just do everything. And Justin Jackson, after the game, said you know, to a reporter who, who talked about Kenny Hustle and talked about him as a defending player, and Justin Jackson said, you know, you can label him a defensive player. You can label him whatever you want to label him. He's a great basketball player. He's just a great overall basketball player. He doesn't need a label. And I think that there is no label for Kenny Hustle. I mean, just... High energy guy does not does not properly put into context how good he's been this season, but he's also not like this offensive guy. He's also not like like it's just hard to to pin down what Kenny Hustle is. He's an enigma. He's just this he's just this awesome basketball player that's just been giving you so much energy giving plays, and that's part of the reason why this team has been able to extend these big leads and grow these big leads because when you see a player. One of your teammates, like Kenny Hustle, you know, if, if, if he's your teammate and you're seeing him diving for loose balls, you're seeing him getting these rebounds, you're seeing him fight for for the glass and, and adapting to any role possible, making making nine assist plays, you're seeing him play really good defense. It gives you a ton of energy as his teammate, and that really helps the entire team as a whole. So it, it does not see, you know, there's no label for him, really. Uh, a really good defensive player, though, I don't think is a bad thing, as, as he is a really good defender. Just the seven points in the point column, but again, he makes an impact in other ways. So now it's time for the MVP of the game. MVP right now. You the real MVP. So the MVP of this game, it's it's tough. The Thunder did a good job of distributing the scoring, and they then they did a good job of battling. I think it's Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson comes in here and. He writes the wrongs of, of all the knocks on ja- on Jackson. Coming into the year, he's inefficient. He's supposed to be this floor spacer that can't space the floor. He did all that. He did all of that. And, and he played under control. We've seen him in Oklahoma City play out of control at times. Was not the case really yesterday. He shoots it efficiently from both the floor and beyond the arc. Goes three for three from the line. And then does grab even a couple rebounds and gets a couple assists. And he also was not a liability defensively, which is a big deal moving forward because there was a time in which Justin Jackson was not a good defender at the NBA level, but he's, he's gotten better at that this season and, and it showed again against Denver. So that'll wrap up this episode of locked on thunder. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. It's a daily podcast about the Oklahoma city thunder. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore styles. And we're going to be back on Monday to recap the game against the Milwaukee bucks. Be good and be good to one another.